Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11 says this, The instruction of Yahweh is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of Yahweh are right, making the heart glad. The commandment of Yahweh is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of Yahweh is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of Yahweh are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, than honey dripping from the comb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and there is great reward in keeping them. I mean, I like that passage of Scripture. It's beautiful, isn't it? I'm often in amazement when I hear preachers and people speak the way that they do about the law of Yahweh. I've heard things like this. We don't need God's law. I've also heard this from a preacher. I wouldn't give a dime to a church that teaches people to keep God's law. Just this last week I was told by a gentleman that I had not, I had not, cast out the bondwoman. And in his mind, the bondwoman, Hagar, is the law. And in his mind, Abraham casting out Hagar from his home was a type that shows us that we must cast out the law from our homes. This is the way that a lot of people think today. And I'm in amazement often by statements like this. But is this wise? Do we really need to cast the law out of our homes? Is that what it means to cast out the bondwoman? Well, I'll get to that later in my sermon. The psalmist David tells us here in Psalm 19, verse 7, that Yahweh's instructions are perfect. And the word instruction or law in some translations is the Hebrew word Torah, the most famous word used throughout the Hebrew Old Testament and it means the teachings or the instructions or the guidance of Yahweh. And when someone says to cast out Yahweh's law, they're actually saying, without sometimes realizing it, to cast out Yahweh's guidance. But I would guess that if they knew that, they would be much less likely to want to do the casting out. Can you imagine telling somebody, we don't need the Lord's guidance? or I wouldn't give a dime to a church that teaches to follow the guidance of the Creator. The word perfect in Psalm 19, verse 7. The instructions of Yahweh are perfect. That's the Hebrew word tamim. And that word means entire, or whole, or complete, or true, or sound, or full. It's as though you've completed the puzzle that you're working on. You lack no more pieces. It's a full or entire picture. It's like having a glass and filling it up completely with water. It lacks nothing. That same Hebrew word, tamim, is used in Exodus chapter 12 where Yahweh instructs His Israel people to draw out a Passover lamb and He says that Passover lamb has to be perfect. In other words, not three-legged, not one-eyed. It's a healthy lamb. 
Yahweh's law is complete. It's true. It's full. It lacks nothing. So the guidance of Yahweh is complete, lacking nothing. And this is why David says next in Psalm 19 that it renews one's life. Or some Bibles might say it converts one's soul. Why would we even think about casting out something from our homes, brothers and sisters, from our homes that is perfect and complete, lacking nothing? Why do we not want the very thing that renews one's life and converts one's soul? Why? Why is that? Please tell me why. I don't understand that. If I had the opportunity to bring something into my home for me and my wife and my five children, and that thing, that something that I had the opportunity to bring in was perfect, lacking nothing, and could renew our lives, why would I not bring it in? I mean, really, why in the world would I not want it in my home? In every capacity possible whether spiritually or whether naturally. Why would I not want it there? The next thing we learn in Psalm 19 from our text today is that the testimony of Yahweh is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. I like that translation. I think the KJV says, making wise the simple. And the testimony is just another reference to the law. It's another way of saying the Torah. In Exodus 31.18, it says this, when he finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the testimony, stone tablets inscribed by the finger of Elohim. The word testimony means a witness or a recorder, and the commandments which had been spoken by Almighty Yahweh were recorded or given witness to by writing by Yahweh upon these stones. And the testimony of Yahweh is trustworthy. You can rely on it. You can bank on it. It makes inexperienced people like me and you, like all of us, it makes us wise. How does it do that? Well, it declares for us perfect morality. That's how it does it. It enables us to know what is sweet and what is bitter, what is light and what is darkness, what is good and what is bad, what is righteous and what is unrighteous. The law of Yahweh and the law of Yahweh alone enables us to know perfect morality. It makes wise the simple or it makes the inexperienced man wise. We don't have to wonder what is right and what is wrong. We can know by looking to the perfect manual which is the entirety of the Scriptures, but most specifically the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch or the Torah, the law of Yahweh. Without the law, without Yahweh's commandments, everything is subjective rather than objective. What I mean is this. Without Yahweh's law, there is no way of actually knowing light from darkness. One man's definition of right may not be the next man's definition of right. And as a matter of fact, many times men will think exactly opposite of one another when left to themselves. This man declares that this is moral, where the man over here says, no, that's immoral, and this rather is what's moral. But everyone knows that we must have some type of a standard. They may not admit it, but they know it even if subconsciously. 
what happens is, is that people know, especially Yahweh's Israelite people, because it's innate in them, they know that there's right and they know that there's wrong. They know that they know absolutes. But yet they suppress the knowledge of the Creator and unrighteousness. Everybody doesn't admit it, but everybody knows it, even if subconsciously, that there is a standard of right and wrong. And this is why when a nation does not abide by the perfect standard of morality, which is Yahweh's law, they then must come up with another set of regulations in order to govern that nation in any capacity. Let me repeat that in another way. When a nation does away with the commandments of the Lord, they have to come up with some other regulations in order to be able to govern in any type of capacity. The other day I got into a brief discussion, again, about punishing sins that are capital crimes in accordance with the law of Yahweh through the mouth of Moses. All sins are not crimes, but there are many sins that are crimes. And when I say crimes, I mean that the civil body politic or the uh, judicial system uh, punishes sins that are crimes uh, with judgments. A lot of times those judgments are very severe. They need to be, but a lot of times those judgments are very severe. In other words, a murderer, someone who murders another man out of the mouth of at least two witnesses, should be put to death. That's Yahweh's standard. And the man that I was talking to said this to me. He said, you can't be serious. And my reply was, and this should always be our default reply when we have a discussion like this. My reply was this. If you disagree with what I just said, then how do you suggest that we punish murderers as a society? Because there has to be some type of punishment, right? We can't just let the murderer keep doing what he's doing and say, you know, you shouldn't do that. But then we just let him off the hook and he goes out and he does it again. And the second time we say, you know, you shouldn't do that. And then he just goes out. How do you suggest, if you do not want to punish him, how Yahweh says to punish him, how do you suggest that he's punished civilly, judicially? How do you suggest that? If you throw away the standard of Yahweh's perfect law, you know what you have? A bunch of inexperienced people scrambling to decide what to do. And then you come up with prisons that are full and overflowing their capacity. And because justice is not executed speedily, Solomon says, it is therefore in the heart of the sons of men to do evil and to even do more evil. But the testimony of Yahweh is trustworthy. It makes the inexperienced wise. We also learn here that the precepts of Yahweh are right in Psalm 19 verse 8. And they make the heart glad. The command of Yahweh is radiant. It makes the eyes light up. And I believe both of these descriptions of the law in Psalm 19.8 further comment on what we just learned from verse 7. For instance, the word glad, which is the Hebrew word samach in verse 8, can be translated as to brighten up. In other words, the law makes the heart brighten up and it makes the eyes light up. And what that is, what both of those are, are Hebrew idioms. It's a Hebrew figure of speech for knowledge. There's many of these in the Bible. Oftentimes we don't even recognize them. We use them in English a lot, don't we? Like a lot of times if I get stuck in a predicament, I'll say, boy, I've got myself in a pickle. 
I don't even know where that came from, but I know what it means when I say it. Well, the Hebrew people that spoke Hebrew back in the ancient biblical days, they had many idioms too. A lot of times we can find them through study. Sometimes we don't even know that they're there. I think both of these in verse 8 is an idiom for knowledge. The law gives us perfect knowledge. We don't have perfect knowledge in and of our own thinking. But the law of Yahweh, because it comes from the perfect Creator, gives us perfect knowledge. And we then read that the fear of Yahweh is pure in verse 9, enduring forever, and the judgments of Yahweh are reliable and altogether righteous. And I think verse 9 is saying the same thing twice for emphasis. The judgments of Yahweh are what helps bring about the fear of Yahweh in man. You remove the judgments of Yahweh and you don't have the fear of Yahweh anymore, at least not to the great extent. Now we know that we have to fear Yahweh, right? I don't think any Bible believer or professing Christian would deny that. We know that we have to fear Yahweh. The very first proverb, Proverbs chapter 1, teaches that the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. The problem, though, is this. Man has removed the mechanism that Yahweh implemented to help bring about that fear. And when I say fear, I don't mean just reverence. I remember when I was a little boy, they taught us that the fear of the Lord was just reverence. You just reverenced Him. And I believe you should reverence Yahweh and be humble before Him and timid before Him. But when I say fear, you know what I mean? I mean fear. That's what I mean. The Greek word for fear in the New Testament, you know what it is? It's phobia. And that's why we say, well, he has a phobia of this, of spiders, or a phobia of that. So I mean fear. When the Bible says fear, it means to fear him. Men should tremble at Yahweh, but we don't. We don't tremble at Yahweh. We might have times when we do, but so often we go about our daily lives and we do not fear Yahweh. Think about the lack of fear in criminals today. What is the murderer really to fear? A life in prison with three meals every day. A color TV. A weight room to work out. What does he fear? What does an adulterer or fornicator fear? What do they fear? Adulterers and fornicators don't fear anything. You know why? Because now in our nation, we've gotten so far away from the law of Yahweh that those sins are not even looked upon as crimes anymore. They don't. You hear somebody, or you find out that somebody committed an adultery, or fornication, or whatever, and you think, oh, oh, well, okay, well, that's just normal. That just goes on. That's a capital crime, punishable by death in Yahweh's law. Adultery and fornication is popularized on television, and so therefore people become immune to seeing husbands and wives cheat on each other because it's just commonplace. What does a Sabbath breaker have to fear? He has even less than adulterer to fear. Because Sabbath keeping is looked upon as idiocy, going back under the law, falling from grace, denying the Messiah, when nothing could be further from the truth. But see, Yahweh's judgments are reliable, and they're altogether righteous. And the fear of Yahweh endures forever. And if a society began to implement the law of Yahweh, complete with judgments, you know what would happen? You would watch the fear of Yahweh increase drastically overnight. Once murderers and adulterers and Sabbath breakers, 
that blatantly disregarded Yahweh's law and broke those laws, those sins, committed those sins, which are capital crimes, and they were punished by death for blatant capital crime out of the mouth of two or three witnesses per Deuteronomy 17, it may not put the fear of Yahweh in their hearts, but it would put the fear of Yahweh on their life. I guarantee it. But let's not just put it on a society. The way you change societies is not to start with society, but to start with the individual and with the family. Amen? That's how you change a society. If families begin to follow Yahweh's directives for them in the home, the fear of Yahweh begins to increase. His judgments are reliable and altogether righteous, brothers and sisters. Parents need to take a stand and bring the perfect law of Yahweh into their home. Teaching and training and disciplining their children. You know why? Because the fear of Yahweh endures forever. And His ordinances and judgments are altogether righteous. People ask me, they say, do you really believe that that will work, Brother Matthew? Well, let me answer like this. Look at the alternative. Look at what's going on right now in the world. Look at it. Allowing the Antichrist government to train our children. That's the alternative. What's happening right now. Just this past week, just a few days ago, I was talking with a woman about life in general. I was doing a job for her. And we were just chit-chatting about life. And I asked her what her and her husband did for a living. And then she asked me what, I, what, what my wife did for a living. She then told me about her children, and I told her about mine, and, and she asked me if my wife worked. And I told her, I said, yeah. I said, she works a lot more than I do <laughs> because she's a stay-at-home homeschooling mom. And she smiled at me, and she said, you got that right. But I kept on working after that, and as I was finishing up the job, she said, can I ask you a question? And usually, brothers and sisters, usually when somebody says that to me, I start getting queasy <laughs> because I know what's coming. I've had that said to me enough. Can I ask you a question, sir? <laughs> Whether it be at the bank or in the grocery line or out on the job. And a lot of times it's a controversial question. And I don't like controversy. And so I was wondering... Uh, most of the time I'll say, I wonder what the question is going to be. This time, though, when she said, can I ask you a question, I honestly thought that it was going to be a septic tank question. And so I said, sure, go ahead. Yeah, go right ahead. Not having a clue what was about to come out of her mouth. And she asked me this, and I hadn't said anything to her but that my wife was a stay-at-home, homeschooling mother of, of five children. And used to, when I told people I had five children, you know, they hit the roof, so to speak. Now they still are a little amazed. I guess the more wrinkles I get under my eye, Sister Maureen, they don't wonder that much. But she asked me this. This is what she asked me. She said, why don't you send your children to public school? And Elijah was with me that day. It was just a few days ago, wasn't it, son? He came with me a couple of days to work uh, because us fathers need to spend time with our children. And don't be fooled by... Well, I spend quality time with my children. No, you don't. We need to spend quantity time with our children. Amen, Brother Tim? All the time that we can. And I think that my little son here, 
uh, can learn just as much coming with his dad to work as he can sitting behind a desk uh, at home or behind the table. And so this was a school day, though. We were out, and it was a quote-unquote school day, whatever that is. It's not in Yahweh's law, but it's a school day by the world. And so it probably prompted her question even more. And before I answered her question, brothers and sisters, before I answered her question, I asked her, I told her, I said, ma'am, I said, I will answer. I said, but before I do, I want you to know that I'm not trying to upset you or offend you. You asked, and I'm going to answer. Because I knew that it probably wasn't going to be pretty. But I proceeded to answer, and my answer went something like this. And I said a little bitty prayer in my mind before I answered because I asked Yahweh to help me speak gently. I always want to speak gently and kindly. But sometimes it don't come out that way because of passion. We shouldn't try to say, well, we're just passionate and then get ugly about something. We shouldn't use passionate as a cover-up for being ugly, right? When I say, be, when I say being ugly, I'm, I'm using that word in the sense that my granddaddy used it when he told us, y'all play pretty, don't play ugly. That's what granddaddy used to tell me when I was a little boy. Y'all need to play pretty now. And uh, Anyhow, so I said a little prayer in my mind, and I said, I want to say this kindly. But this is what I answered this, this woman. I said, ma'am, children are a heritage from Yahweh. How many believe that? They're a heritage from Yahweh. Happy or blessed is the man that hath his quiver full. And I said, the best gift next to salvation that a husband and a wife could ever receive is children. They're blessings. They're blessings. The government school system hates Yahweh. Their curriculum is atheistic and is chock full of evolution rather than creation. They teach the children everything from safe sex to now promoting homosexuality. They're not allowed to pray there, witness about the truth of Scripture, etc. It's like throwing my child into a shark tank and tricking myself into thinking that they won't get bit. And I said those words to her as softly and as gentle as I knew how because she already had told me, catch this now, she had already told me that she drove a school bus and that her children were the first to get put on it in the morning and the last to get put off of it in the evening. But I had to tell her the truth. And you know what? Maybe a seed was planted. Maybe a seed was watered. I don't know. I don't know. Only Yahweh does. I don't know. But I do know this. This is what I do know. Nothing. You can expect nothing to change in your home or with your children or family or nothing to change in society Nothing to change in our elected officials if people keep allowing antichrists to teach our children anything. Because it comes through an atheistic worldview. Everything that's spewed out of the mouths of the antichrists today. Nothing will change. Why do you think that so many young people are so in love with the current president of the United States? It's because they were trained by the government to think like he thinks. They're indoctrinating our children when, our, when us as parents ought to be indoctrinating our children with the laws of Yahweh, Christian principles of the Bible. We've got to reestablish things one at a time, and it begins in the home, and how stupid the notion, how ridiculous the idea 
that removing Yahweh's law from our homes, schools, and courthouses is the way to make things better. I was flabbergasted the other day when I walked into the Loganville City Hall and there posted upon one of the brick pillars was the Ten Commandments. And I asked the woman behind the glass, I said, who got the Ten Commandments posted here? And she said, somebody donated this. And I said, I told her, I said, I'm so thankful. She even looked at me like I was a little bit weird. I said, I'm so thankful to see that posted up in a city hall. And she smiled and she said, yeah, me too. Me too. She was an Israelite. She was a lost sheep. But she knew that there was something about those rules that were righteous. All Israelites do, whether they're lost or found. Because it's inside of them. And Yahweh's people. How foolish and stupid it is, though, for us to think that removing Yahweh's laws will make things better. You know what? Things have only gotten worse since the law has been trampled upon and removed. And things will continue to get worse unless we begin taking Psalm 19 seriously. Do you know that if you venture back to the history in the early colonies of this nation, up in the northeastern states that we call them now, do you know that their books of law were the first five books of Scripture? And that when they punish criminals, they say, we do this, in obedience to Deuteronomy such and such, and Leviticus such and such, and Exodus such and such. But little by little by little, the states of places like Massachusetts and Connecticut and Virginia and even Georgia venture further and further and further and further away from Yahweh's perfect law that makes the inexperienced wise and the simple man It brightens up his eyes and his mind and his heart. Psalm 19 verse 10 says that the law, the testimony and the commandments and the judgments of Yahweh are more desirable than gold and they're sweeter than the honeycomb. But do we desire them more than gold and honey? I like gold and I love honey. (laughs) I eat a little honey or drink I should say, a little dissolved honey in my hot tea almost every morning. Sometimes I'll just go to the honey during the middle of the day when I get home or something like that and I'll just squirt a spoonful of it and just put it in my mouth. I love honey. Psalm 19.10 says that Yahweh's commandments are sweeter than honey and they're to be more desired than gold. I like how the KJV puts it, yea, than much fine gold. The heart of man loves riches And I hear people talking all the time in the world today about having more gold. It's just that nowadays they call it money. But our desire should be less on material things. There's nothing wrong with having gold. There's nothing wrong with eating honey. But the problem is is that we relish in our gold and we glutton on our honey. And the whole time we forget what is better than gold and sweeter than honey. And that's Yahweh's law. Psalm 19 verse 11 says that we are warned by Yahweh's instructions and that there is great reward in keeping them. Do you believe that today? I believe it with all my heart. A great reward in keeping them. I believe that. I believe if we implement Yahweh's law in our lives, it comes with a great reward. It may not look great in the eyes of man. It may seem petty through the glass lens of Hollywood 
But who really gives a care? I don't. Who gives, as they say, a flying flip about what they think? Why are we so caught up in not offending the world when the Scripture says bad company corrupts good morals and that a friendship with the world is an enmity with Yahweh? And I'm not talking about just being offensive for the sake of being offensive. I'm not talking about that, going back to being ugly. I don't believe in that. But I'm talking about keeping Yahweh's law and standing for righteousness no matter who thinks that you're crazy. Brothers and sisters, we need Yahweh's law. To remove it and say it's done away with and throw it out like the bondwoman that I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, it grates on my last nerve. It's like fingernails on the chalkboard thing, you know. I can't stand it. We need Yahweh's law. And throwing out something that is complete and lacking nothing and entire and perfect is just, it's ridiculous. Think about it. Something that's perfect. You want to throw it away. Throwing it out is why many people are in the trouble that they're in today. It's why this nation is in the trouble that it's in today. It's because they've thrown it out. We need Yahweh's law. As an individual, as a family, as a city, as a state, as a nation, we need Yahweh's law. You say, Brother Matthew, it seems like it's such a big task to change things like that. Start with yourself. Branch out to your wife and your children and then your church and then your community and have a long-range vision. I like what Senator Ron Paul said. He said the only hope that he has for this nation, you know what he said? He said the only hope he has for this nation is the homeschooling movement because he knows that through homeschooling the children will be trained differently than they would if they were sent to the Antichrist government. I think that's a wise statement by Senator Ron Paul or former Senator Ron Paul. We need Yahweh's law. We need all three uses of the law. There are three uses of the law as I see it. And by removing the law, we bring all of that to a screeching halt, a halt that's bad, not good. Here they are, succinctly. The first use of the law is as a mirror that shows us that we're sinful. That's the first use of the law. Without the law, we wouldn't know what sin was. And therefore, we wouldn't know that we need to be made clean. The law is like a mirror that we look at after a hard day's work. You come home from a hard day's work and you look in the mirror and you know what? You see the dirt and the grime on your face. Or in my case, maybe the oil sometimes. Or maybe the sewage sometimes, right? (laughs) You see that on your face in the mirror and you think, Oh, I need to wash my face. (laughs) That's what the law is like. You wouldn't know your sin if you didn't have the mirror. You wouldn't know what's right and wrong. So you see your imperfection when you look at the law of perfection. But it doesn't remove the dirt. That's not the purpose of the law, to remove the dirt. No. The law reveals our sin. And you know what? It needs to reveal our sin. The law of Yahweh is perfect doing what? Converting the soul. You know how it converts the soul? When it reveals the sin and you see the bad news, it then drives you to want to hear the good news. It drives you to Yeshua the Messiah, who's the perfect law keeper, who takes away our sin with His perfect life, substitute death, and victorious resurrection. Because Yeshua is the Word, or the law, of Yahweh made flesh. Everything that the law is, is embodied in Yeshua, the Son of Yahweh. So if we remove the law, in essence, we're removing the Savior. 
were removing the Messiah. This use of the law is one that recognizes that it cannot justify us. And that, brothers and sisters, think about this, that is the bondwoman that needs to be cast out. The law as a means to justification apart from Yeshua should be cast out. And that's Paul's point in the book of Galatians. Not that you need to throw the law away. The book of Galatians is not anti-law. Just read Galatians 5. You'll find that out. What Paul is dealing with in Galatians is a group of people who have exalted the law up to the means of justification. We're going to do this to be justified, and we don't need the Messiah. And Paul comes against that teaching strongly, very strongly. And he should, because the law can't justify you unless you kept it perfectly, which you haven't. And so we need the Savior. That's the bondwoman that needs to be cast out. That's the first use of the law. The second use of the law is this. It's a restraint upon evil. A restraint upon evil. The law cannot change the heart of a man. Do you hear that? The law cannot change the heart of a man. Yahweh through His Spirit can. The law cannot by itself. It reveals the evil in the heart of man. But you know what the law can do? It can curb the evil actions of man through forced compliance. Even though societies have tossed Yahweh's law out the window, they know this to be a fact. This is why cities have laws against rape, murder, and theft, and other things as well. Now, those laws that these cities have won't change a criminal's heart, but they will curb evil from taking place. They'll be a deterrent to evil taking place. And it's important here to point out that the civil laws of man today are not equivalent with Yahweh's law for the most part. The best way to restrain evil in society is to enforce Yahweh's law correctly and His judgments correctly, ordinances correctly, and His statutes correctly. That's the best way to curb evil in society. You punish sins that are crimes the way Yahweh says to punish them. You say, Brother Matthew, do you really believe that will work? Once again, look at the alternative. Look at what's happening now. We're punishing sins that are crimes the way that we decide they should be punished. The way the Supreme Court decides should be punished. I heard a woman one time tell somebody that the Supreme Court gave her the right to think that it's okay to abort a baby. The Supreme Court is hogwash. The Constitution is hogwash. Yahweh's law is perfect. Why do you need anything else? So we punish sins that are crimes the way that Yahweh says to punish them. And we would see the crime rate drop overnight if this second use of the law was taken seriously. I mean, think about it. Think about it. Just for murder for, for a second. If murderers that we knew were true murderers out of the mouth of two or more witnesses, they were put to death on national television by stoning as Yahweh commands, not Brother Matthew, but as Yahweh commands, and this nation had to watch that. And you think that that wouldn't deter a man from wanting to go out and do the same thing that he just watched a fellow get stoned to death for? And then let's say somebody just got the bright idea that they just couldn't keep themselves back from doing it and they went out and murdered the next day and then we had another nationally televised capital punishment take place on TV. You wouldn't have to go through too many until people said, you know what, I don't think I want to do that because look at what's going to happen. 
And the same thing doesn't just go for the uh, Sixth Commandment, but for all of the commandments that uh, are capital crimes and deserve capital punishment if broken, which most of them do. Then we come to the third and the final use of the law. First use of the law, show us our sin. Second use of the law, restraint from evil. The third and final use of the law is to instruct the regenerate man in what is pleasing to the Almighty. See, when we are unregenerate before salvation, the law only condemns us. After regeneration, we have a changed heart that loves and desires to please Yahweh. I can't really remember this because I've always grown up in church, which really, I guess, is a blessing. I guess one of the greatest things to have is not to have a testimony. I can't remember a time when I didn't praise the Creator. But I know a lot of people that didn't grow up like that. And they remember the time when they didn't care if they stole or didn't care if they hurt someone or didn't really care if maybe they even killed someone. But then Yahweh came into their life and they're a completely different person. That's before being born from above and after being born from above. That's before salvation and after salvation, before regeneration and after regeneration. Before salvation, the law only condemns, and you don't care. After salvation or regeneration, the law not just condemns and shows us our sin, it instructs us, and we want to obey it. We want to do it. We have a changed heart. And the way that we find what is pleasing to Yahweh is by one, looking to His law, or by two, looking to His Son. And those are really the same thing, because His Son is the law made flesh. But either one will reveal to us how we should live as individuals. We read the law, we want to keep it, and so we keep it. 1 John 5, verse 3. This is the love of the Almighty that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not a burden, right? You know there is nothing you can do except keeping Yahweh's commandments to show Him that you love Him. That has nothing to do with our justification, but we're able to keep the law because we've been regenerated and because we've been justified by grace through faith. So when we remove the law altogether, we lose all three of its uses, not to mention we destroy Psalm 19, 7 through 11. We completely destroy it. But when we affirm Psalm 19 and we recognize the law has not been done away with, we have one, a mirror that shows us our sin and drives us to the Messiah. We have two, a restraint upon the evil in society. And we have three, a revealing to the regenerate man of what's pleasing to his creator. All three uses of the law. Seems like a big task, doesn't it, to change the big picture? When in reality, what we need to focus on before the big is we need to focus on our lives as individuals and our lives as families. So hopefully, this message maybe give you a little bit more information about the law and you understand some things better now. But let's really believe Psalm 19, 7 through 11. Let's not just quote it, let's not just sing about it, but let's really believe it. Let's believe what Yahweh said. This is the only way that everything is going to work out properly in our lives. Let's stand and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, um, I love you, I thank you, and I praise you. Father, might we be encouraged by your word and emboldened, Father Yahweh, to take the light of your law and shine it brightly in our homes, shine it brightly to people we meet, 
Father Yahweh, not lay on our backs or sit on, on the couch and not think that we can do anything, but to occupy until your Son comes. Whatever capacity, whatever way that we can. Give us faith. Even myself, Father, I doubt. Many days I doubt. But give me faith, Father Yahweh, and strengthen my heart and my mind in this. Through your Son I pray. Amen.